Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And this this is Grits, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. (laughs) And we're back. My mom hates when I do that. And she yelled at me multiple times during Christmas break to stop it. She goes, does your your friends like like it when you do that? I said, well, I think it's a nervous tick. Anyways, we're back after, how many weeks have we been off of the pod? Seems like... It's been a blur. Like, it's both been, it's felt like a couple days in, like, a year since I've last seen you. Well, we had a big, a big banger, a big pod banger at the end of the year, and then we, there was a moment of introspection on the last, during the last episode where we considered, should we, should we dissolve the pod uh, and give all the griddles the stickers that we have on tap, which we have none, but just, it was a moment, it was a, it was a ephemeral moment that we, we kind of played with, um, and we, thankful, thankfully, uh, our producer, Cassie, stepped in and said, I feel that your voices are important right now, especially during this, this tumultuous and Overwhelming. Um, thank you. Thank well, you. It, it, we're just so isolated in, in some ways. Like, even if you're constantly listening to people and and engaged with people, it, it feels so isolating to be living through history and watching the things happen right in front of us that are, like, really traumatizing. So it's kind of, I mean, I hope that this is, like, a a beacon of hope or something like I hope for those that, of you listening yeah God, I yeah. remember I was just and thinking. for us too like some sanity like okay there's other people out there that <laughs> that feel this way yeah need, yeah or so. that are sensible and that aren't so extremely uh ideological I guess yeah well for those of you listening thank you to our I guess 13 plus people who listen, who catch us on the every 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 two weeks, which is my dad. Apparently he goes on a walk and he listens to grits and he reports back as to how he felt. So about the pod. So thanks dad for listening. Number, number one of five listeners. Um, so yeah, Anna and I have been on break. I was off for three weeks for work, uh, and had to travel to Texas to support some family members as well as some some former roommates who would give me wonderful Yelp reviews, by the way. I told my, I had an intake for a therapy appointment today, and I said, you can ask any, I will provide references for all my former roommates of what a great roommate I am. Uh, but I had to help people move, uh, and so, and I was really, I, I you know, I'm, I'm hitting, so I've turned 31 this year, and I think in my 20s, the 20s were all about, like, you'd go visit your friends in these cities, and you'd go, you know, you'd go out, and you'd rage, and you'd go, and, you know, shot skis in the car, and seven people in a lift, and, and it's really, and, and I'm sure the, the pandemic has something to do with it, but it seems like as you hit your 30s, the conversations dramatically change, and so returning to Austin and seeing my friends uh, who I've, I've grown up with and went to college with and, and the tra- the conversations now include the subject of caretaking and what caretaking looks like for your parents and buying houses or moving in with people and cohabitating and partnerships. And so it seems like even if even if you were trying to trying to avoid deeper conversations, that as you hit your thirties, these are milestones that a lot of people in your peer group are hitting, uh, and so therefore, 
the conversations are, you know, they're just more emotionally fraught and, um, I don't know, deep, I guess, is another word for it. So I, hitting my dirty 30s, as they call it. Do they call it that, the dirty 30s? You can if you want. No one's stopping you. No one's stopping me. Okay, well, and a big thank you to everyone who hosted me in Austin, and thanks for making sure we were socially socially distanced, and I just really enjoyed my time with with my friends in Austin and my little brother in Dallas. Uh, and Texas will always be close to my heart, even though I always put up a fight when people say Texas you know, they, Texas is the greatest state in the country. And I, you know, obviously on the heels of the insurrection with Ted Cruz, I beg, I would, I would probably argue against that, but here we are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just been difficult uh, getting back to work. I had three weeks off um, and I felt, I was hoping that I would return rejuvenated and ready to, to take on, to kick 21, 2021 in the butt after a very lengthy and brutal electoral season. And well, hold my beer hold my beer yeah yeah this year started off not not new year new me (laughs) as we ended I felt like we ended the December season on on such a a high note like okay here Mm -hmm. comes 2021 we're getting you know it's it's coming it's coming I'm excited new year new me and Mm -hmm. then well, I wasn't monitoring parlor close enough, apparently, <laughs> or else maybe I would have known to be a little concerned. You were still on Instagram following the Christian influencers that were QAnon, QAnon oh, adjacent. Oh, yeah. I, or, I mean, I, I keep my finger on the pulse, for yeah, sure, and yeah. I saw all the people fleeing to parlor. I just did not know quite what was, what was going to happen on the 6th until some of the reporting came out about it, but yeah, I felt like on a high from Christmas, and What did I, you do over Christmas? I visited family, got to meet my little baby niece. Little auntie. Was she so cute? Was she so cute? She's so cute. Oh my gosh. I uh, love like babies and kids, like brings me lots of joy. Yeah. But I can't let it go. So my Christmas tree is still up. My house is still fully decorated. And I don't know. Um, I thought about taking it down last weekend. And I still don't want to, so... I saw you had two little stockings for Toby and Winston, mm-hmm. the two cats. And, and at first, I, I, I did a double take, because I thought, oh my god, she's pregnant with twins, and then I realized... <laughs> no, my little fur boys. Mm, they have these little cute little stockings. Well, whatever brings you joy. Yeah, it's just going to happen. I'm not... This year, I'm not putting expectations on myself for things like that, because... Is there a checkpoint that we should mutually agree upon right now in terms of removal of the Christmas yeah, tree? Yeah, probably intervene if it's, like, March. <laughs> okay, so spring break. Yeah, spring break, okay. yeah. Okay, um, I'll make a mental note. Yeah, if the sun is up uh, after 5 p.m., then please intervene in my uh, tree being up. Um, but yeah, I heard um, you got some interesting Christmas gifts. Oh, yes. So... I got <laughs> drums for Christmas. I love them so much. Um, and I got Alex a guitar. Um, he got me the drums. I got him a guitar. So we are just a And did you know family. you were both getting each other musical instruments? Like, what, what no. were the conversations beforehand that led you to buy Alex a guitar? Oh, um, well, he has... Uh, picked up guitars here and there like he took guitar in like high school and then played a little bit in college on a friend's guitar and then his sister plays a little bit so he was you know just has picked 
pick songs out like over the years. Um, but we don't have a guitar, so I decided to get one for us. And he has been playing up a storm, and sometimes I play it a little bit too. So I play piano and played guitar a little bit in high school, and I was also in like a talented music class that was like all about improv and like trying different things. So oh, like wow. I would sing, and then I would play the drums, and like and we would do a recital where you would do a bunch of different instruments. So, so like, uniquely, I bass. you're uniquely situated for this moment where you are given a drum set and yes. are expected. To I can perform. play. I can play a little bit of harp. Mean on the recorder. <laughs> I could play a little bit of violin. I used to be pretty good at violin. Wow. I love to like pick up different things and like pick them out. But I I did play drums in one recital. Um, I, I, so and I remember really liking it, and I like how rhythmic it is, and like I just really like percussion anyway. So I'm now jamming. It's an electric drum set. It's not like the full deal, but it has like pedals and stuff, and it. I can't wait till the next episode. I always say, like, in two weeks, I'm going to, after you get something, like, I'm going to come in, and you'll have spikes. It'll be, like, a a character out of Wayne's World. Just, like, your hair's teased, like, three feet above your head. Topless drumming. (laughs) It's like, wow, pandemic's really, uh, wow, okay. Yeah, it gives me, it just feels like a, like, I knew I needed to do something physical because all my hobbies involve staring at screens and reading and thinking really hard and writing and all that stuff and it's like that's not a release for me right now like I have to do something physical so pounding my drums does the job is there any intent to start a family band uh I have thought about recording some things um we should redo the intro for grit right so we don't have to use someone else's music yeah I would like to record a new intro intro for us and just like play I used to record a lot of songs so like my piano it's a full like full keyboard weighted but it's electric so I can like record a piece and then play over it mm-hmm. um it has a floppy disk so <laughs> uh, so I need like a recorder or like a um converter for the floppy disk so that I can like make it digital but um I would love to hear your best musical moment growing up, like whether it was a performance or I've got mine and I just thought of it, but I want to Oh, yeah, what's yours? Okay, well, both of my parents will, if, if this question was asked to my parents, they would absolutely give this response unanimously, which was in fifth grade, I played the piano, My Heart Will Go On, Celine Dion at Cedar mm-hmm. Bluff Primary School, my in a duet with Mary West, and my dad always talks about it was second grade so I was like 12 and I played it you know it was a really basic key but like as soon as I hit and I was I was so overwhelmed that I just I apparently it was it was so loud you couldn't hear Mary sing and so it just ended up being anyways it, the crowd was silent and then everyone it, it was just and my my dad's recorded apparently it's digitized so next time you come visit oh us in my Knoxville, gosh, yeah. but my heart will go on people still talk about it it's definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, it, it, it shook, I think it shook people to their core, their emotional core. They walked away <laughs> really leaning into what, what, who is their next love and how can they find it? Mm. I, that was my favorite song on American Idol for the Wii, because I could always get 100%, like, if you have to, like, hit, I mean, you're not really hitting the notes, but I could trick it mm. to where I was, like, I would get 100%, but yeah, I love that. I'm trying to think. I, I don't have a ton of recordings. So I grew like up fun playing, performances. Like, I grew up playing classical music, but I remember I did my own arrangement of um, 
oh gosh, it was Halo by Beyonce and mixed with one other song. Oh my gosh, I wish I could remember. And me, you make me, me and feel my friend. So old. You make me feel so old. Okay. <laughs> I was in high school. And okay, yeah, me and not friend, helping. Okay, not helping. Me and my friend Shay, we played it at a beta club convention for everyone. We <laughs> I don't I would get in these situations where I like did I was the weird person performing. <laughs> Oh, also, I sang and played um, played piano uh, to Boston by Augustana or whatever, like that song that was trendy for like two seconds in high school, when I was in high school, and yeah, that was my one, like, it was at a, like, coffee shop. You pl- uh, so you, you, you were, you performed at a coffee shop in Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like a thing, it was like a thing our school did. I don't know. This is the stuff that I did growing up. Wow. I played wow. a lot of music. I didn't know that you were, I, see, I had no idea. I played I the bass to, um, like, the actual bass to Hold On Loosely one time at a concert. That was pretty good. Wow, you are really quite the Renaissance millennial. I'm pretty impressed. Ooh, I did the piano for a rap mixtape. <laughs> Because I, I was doing, like, samples of songs. So I do, like, um, Hurt by Christina Aguilera. Isn't that the name of it? I did that, like, sampled for, like, the back of, like, rap lyrics. <laughs> for, like, the intro. Anyway. I have so many questions. Yeah. But that might day. still be out there. That might be the only thing I still have, like, recorded. If you were it's listening not, like, a and you cell grew phone. up with Anna Walton, please send us all of the musical videos you have, and we'll put it up on the gram. Yeah. I think I'll try to I'll try to find it over. And if anyone wants to come jam with a mask on, I'm I'm trying to learn how to play guitar and drums. <laughs> I really don't know how to. I have way too much confidence in myself. I believe in you. Yeah. I mean, clearly, it's fun at least. You're a utility player, so. Uh, well, we we are back, uh, and it's been a doozy. The past week has been a doozy, and so we thought we would. Um, I know the insurrection has been covered by most lefty podcasts, but we felt like um, as your in-house girls raised in, Tennessee girls raised in the South, uh, that we would provide you uh, with some with an overview of the insurrection, but how how many Tennesseans, what Tennesseans were involved. Anna's going to talk a little bit about when events like these become normalized and how we really don't want that to happen because it, it should not be the new normal. Um, and then we want to provide you with some practical tools of how to talk to people who believe in conspiracy theories, which are most of my family, besides my, <laughs> my, core, my core group, um, everyone else. So, so and I guess, I guess we'll start, for those of you, I know a lot of you have not been living under a rock in you, but like, what is the grits, what is the grits summary of what happened on January 6th? No pressure. Right, yeah. Um, not that uh, many other experts have said this way, way, It has been way covered than by a multitude of outlets. But, and by, but what, is, what is Anna Walton's hot take of the insurrection? What stands out to me is, um, so I, I think thinking about, like, how did this, how did we get here to this day? Um, Trump was repeatedly calling for people to rise up and to contest the election results. People in his party, in power the people that ended up there at the Capitol that day. Who caravaned across. Who clearly thought that Trump wanted them there and asked them to be there. He said he loved them. <laughs> um, and, and this, you know, these 
patriots in quotations, um, it, it really ended up being like um, a far more organized effort to get people there to, so they were, they were monitoring or, you know, they were trying to be there uh, for the vote that would have certified the election. Now, there wasn't really anything that anyone could do. I know a lot of, what was it, 130 representatives voted um, to not certify the to state not results. Certify so the for state those of results. you who don't know, each state has to certify their election results, and then it goes to the federal system, and that's when they, they read out, and the representatives have to certify the votes from their states, or is it mm-hmm. for each state? I don't know I, so it was for each state. So like the people in Tennessee who voted, they were voting like to, certify to the not Tennessee certify results. like um, I think they were they voted against like Arizona and then one was like Pennsylvania. Okay. So okay. they were voting they were voting not to certify like other certain states. states. Okay. Yeah. That they that they had like questions about. So you know like Arizona with the Sharpies and the oh my god whatever like oh my god. So, See a lot of people aren't in the news like they're not knee deep in the news like yeah you and I are. It's a it's it's these little these little things that sparked off on social media and I saw it on election day. I literally from the second I saw I started seeing these fake posts that were being copy and pasted with people that I know saying that. Um, people were, if they saw you voted for Trump, the election worker was like holding down a button on the back of the machine and invalidating your result. And you had to go double check and do this. And And I love that in these Southern, like in Georgia, you have a Republican secretary of state, a Republican director of elections administration. And they still, and they have been like, and these are party Republican party people who have run for office, who have, who have organized and campaigned for other Republicans. And they're still and so how it got to this point, one piece is that they, I think these patriots, in quotations, had thought that that Trump and his lawyers would be able to throw out the election results in these key states that mm-hmm. Biden won. And the state Supreme Courts threw out each of the lawsuits that Trump filed, and it made its way, I think the Texas one made its way all, all the way to the Supreme Court, at which point, <laughs> get this, all nine Supreme Court justices said we are absolutely not going to take this case, including the three Trump-appointed Supreme Court justices, mm-hmm. Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and Kavanaugh. So at this point, the Patriots, and so how did, so it's it's spiraling, it's spiraling. They think they're going to be able to file these lawsuits and that Biden, you know, is going to not be the legitimate president. And so then how does it get to this point? So there was obviously some organizing done. <laughs> Mainly on stellar organizing, ladies. As, as Anna and I have, we have uh, organized uh, caravans of people to come to the Tennessee state legislature. Mm-hmm. You know, applaud. You know, a little bit of the the organizing efforts, but yeah. And and Trump had also had other like stop the steal type rallies that were that's true. Yeah. More yeah. in the, the vein heels, of yeah. his um, of the normal, you know, manic energy of. <laughs> Of a Trump rally, but yeah, it was um, this myth was created about the election being stolen. Started on social media, obviously validated by some um, unsavory figures around Trump, like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. And who was the woman who testified that was drunk? Like absolutely, I mean, she, she, yeah, no, whoever that was brought her on to. Yeah, Yeah, the people that they were having like try to back this up, like, and obviously the courts, I mean, and if you actually compare what they said in press conferences and what Trump was kind of saying off off the cuff and what was on social media to what was actually filed in the court, I think that's a really interesting distinction mm-hmm. because the claims were, like, 
much narrower and they were much less uh, incendiary and kind of claiming like this mass fraud across many, many states, even though down ballot Republicans were winning in those states. Right, right. Trump cleaned house and every, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, so it just kind of all fell apart in the court. And this is that, uh, that continued, this is fueled by Trump's decision not to really admit that he lost and he continues to call on his supporters um, and the, it goes into the theme of the QAnon thing where they think that Trump is sending secret messages to them. Right. And right, so when right. he says like, which he was, say, he was actually speaking pretty, pretty much in plain language, telling them to come and to tell the, tell members of Congress to not certify the election. Right. Right. And there's a lot of, I don't think anyone really thought that the, that Congress could actually not certify the election when it came down to it. Um, so did you do you think that Trump really thought that if these patriots in quotations circumvented this voting certification that just the process of them you know, like lodging themselves within the Capitol chambers and preventing this process that it wouldn't happen and therefore Trump would become the legitimate like you know, I don't claim I don't claim to know that he has any real strategy because there is a lot of proof that he could have probably had a better strategy, and if he was even a tad bit more thoughtful of a person, he could have maybe done this a little bit, had like a stronger case. Um, I mean, not necessarily when it came down to it, like in the courts or something, but he could have had more. I don't know. I I don't. I really don't think like if he had different lawyers, for example, that would have been a choice that would have been maybe given him an advantage instead of uh, someone with uh, that farts on camera and <laughs> and has a hair spray running down their face. She's talking about Giuliani, who there is a press clip of him responding to a question from a reporter, and he largely farts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I digress. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just so ridiculous that it's hard to... Anyway, I think it all came down to Trump loves his rallies. That's literally his, like... That's his lifeblood. lifeblood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what it came down to is he wanted a bunch of people out there. That's, to, to him, a symbol that... It's like a narcissistic whatever, like a, a big but narcissistic you, But you hug. really think, like, this is... It was fanfare for him, and he really didn't think that these people would go through with it? Because we just saw... I just made Anna watch a TikTok of a woman, I don't know how she got access to this video, but it's baby Trump, or sorry, what's his name? Trump Jr. <laughs> Trump Jr. Yeah. Uh, and they're in a tent, they're out, they're like under a tent watching this unfold. Mm -hmm. And I, and I have seen like this thing that says, um, I think this is really, really a good analogy, but like, oh, or, or, and another thing is like matches. This is a really good one. It's like when your kid has matches and is starting a fire, you don't go, oh no, I'm going to make him more mad. He's going to start more fires. You just take the matches away. <laughs> yeah. And like, so I think there is this, um, I just don't like, I mean, I'm getting too far ahead, but like, I hate that there's this narrative that it's like, oh my gosh, they're so upset and we have to we have to fight for unity and healing, and we have to tiptoe around and let's say, walk, oh, they must be really mad. the aisle. Like, yeah, they must be really mad that they're out there. Oh, wow. When it's all based on lies, and it's, and it's fomented by the people in power. They literally thought, like, looking at the parlor comments after the insurrection, they were like, he sold us out. Like, I can't, you know, when he did that second right, speech right. where he was like, uh, 
So this was after this was after they stormed the Capitol and Trump recorded a video that he released on yeah. Twitter before. He and was I really haven't. I, I made a mistake by not naming what they did. They they broke in. They vandalized. They killed. In one case, killed a killed a cop. Um, they were trying. I mean, this is all. I think everything I'm going to say has been verified. A cop took a selfie with someone. Cops were leading them in certain areas. One one guy said on record, I was asking where Schumer's, and he was saying the most horrible anti-Semitic stuff about Schumer, but he was like, a, a Capitol Police officer was leading him to Schumer's office, trying to find him. Um, there is now evidence that members of Congress were leading some of the people who were involved the which day we'll talk before. About, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Tennessee representative, yeah. And they were ransacking they were they had zip ties and they were literally seeking out members of congress to kidnap to kidnap them and to for trump to be the president so it was all in this like unhinged belief that trump should be the president and the members of congress and they're even they're calling for mcconnell calling for pence i mean there was a news pence literally became the villain in all of this and it was right like if mcconnell and pence are are stopping your liberty like i don't i i mean i have like what i thought what was most entertaining these patriots really thought that they that the pearly gates of the capital would be open for them and they would walk through i mean well, they were doing the right thing they were doing the right thing in their minds right but really they didn't because they they thought there would be um, opposition in terms of like the the type of things that they contraband that they brought with them, them like yeah. the zip ties and yeah well and and the funny thing is is that it's like mostly so it was a work day you know from the interviews middle and upper middle class people someone flew there on her, on her private plane yeah people flying there people getting hotels people taping, taking time off work so these, this is mostly a middle class, a middle class, class right. crowd, and they're going. We're gonna have a revolution <laughs> because of a Facebook comment and all the their pictures with their AR-15s at their house. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it's it's funny. And continuing along the naming of what happened, the. Treatment, I mean, by the end of the day, I think there had been 59 arrests or something. When the um, Lafayette Square, when Trump mm, during the summer, cleared everyone right, out, right. and it was still, they were still within curfew, all that kind of stuff. When he cleared them out, I think there, that day, there were like 289 arrests. What I think, so I saw on Twitter that. And especially that they they felt like there was there there would be no state retribution like there would mm-hmm. there would be no consequences from the state as to the the lawlessness of their action right and the mm-hmm. and like and there I saw a sequence of three three this guy on Twitter who had stormed the Capitol was like why is the FBI looking for me and then the third picture was his account was gone mm-hmm. and the fact I mean they they really thought that they would be untouchable by the law and that there would be no repercussions and that's how I mean that's. Do you think it, that's, like, um, a class and, like, position in society kind of thing? Or do you think it's because they had that um, kind of they, – they've been able to say whatever they want online without consequences? 
probably the intersection of the two. Yeah. Intersection. I listened to a QAnon expert uh, that deals with the international QAnon movements, and he and he described how the reality for a lot of people who believe QAnon is that like they're mostly white, like especially like privileged white men that have never been able, they've, they've never had to navigate complex systems in front of them. And especially with, it's been, it's been exacerbated by the pandemic in terms of the mental gymnastics that they're having to do to move through life and that things aren't as it seems. And so therefore they're more prone to conspiratorial thinking. Mm. And I think it's like, I think it's a blend of the two, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And that was happened as a result. So the House of Representatives went into hiding, and now you have. So obviously, there's like the Patriot lens, and we'll talk a little bit about the Tennessee Patriots that that you know sacrificed their day off to go storm. And, and this word that we're saying, like, we're not validating this. It's more so that that Trump uses that word as a signal. Mm. Don Jr. uses that word as mm-hmm. a signal. If you start to listen for it and look at tweets and look, well. Trump can't tweet anymore. But um, if you start to see it, it is a signal, and it's, I mean, it's really not that coded anymore. But if you see, that was the through line in the group that was there. That started to emerge as, like, the big umbrella. Like, if you had a word cloud, patriots would have been. Yeah, and patriots and revolution. And I don't know. that That is an interesting thing to me. I don't know that, I mean, I haven't read, like, a, think piece on it yet or anything of like how that came about but um i think that shows more coordination than um between between trump and them and other leaders and also within the group Mm, so the okay so the use of language like the congruent language between the groups and who was using it and at what time interesting Mm -hmm. well so then so then the consequences um so so obviously they stormed the capitol you know they're a woman was shot um, but then the House of Representatives absconded to uh, so, some safe place, and the Republican House of Representatives, the Republican representatives refused to wear masks. And so now what we're seeing, um, Pramila, Rep- Representative Pramila Jayapal, who's a progressive champion within the House of Representatives, got COVID as a result. And, and I think another one of her Democratic colleagues, Chuck Fleshman, who's a Republican, a Tennessee Republican, now has COVID. Um, and so not only do we have, you know, the storming of the Capitol and the property damage, the life damage, uh, but you also have, like, almost bioterrorism happening as a result because of, mm-hmm. you know, this having to remove themselves and to be safe, but also being in a space where people are not taking COVID seriously. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really sad. And now they have the... They have the um metal detectors or whatever at the at the front and the republicans all just keep they're like out of their minds they won't wear their masks and then they just keep walking around the things and so i mean maybe this is a topic for another time but like the idea of like liberty i bet i could not be any farther from libertarian if i tried like i would have to do that would take a lot of effort but um, yeah, I just don't get the, like, I'm, I'm a rule follower and I'm a play by the rules type person. And it's just so weird to me how conservatives, it's not, it's like not even close to like a coherent ideology. And I don't, and I don't mean to say that there's, these are classical conservatives, like, um, because like Goldwater kind of like was, you know, was like the ideologue of conservative. And he would say he was pro-choice. 
And, like, his wife was, like, a really strong pro-choice advocate because he was, like, following the letter of, like, his ideology. Not that it, I mean, it was anti-civil rights and there's a lot of bad things about it. But I I think it's, like, it's truly, like, the most base, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the origins of it, but it's the most base, like, you, like, a little kid, like, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. It's such a weird yeah. impulse that I don't understand. I'm just so much more communitarian, like, in my outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And just, like, I do not get that you wouldn't walk through a metal detector, but then you want someone who uh, can't pay three parking tickets to go on probation and then get arrested because they're right. with, some, with right. someone who's been in jail. Or they not they get arrested for not paying court fees and stuff, and it's like you and want them to be surveilled and and every single and move that they make right. and, and penalized, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you want to be able to take a gun into the House of Representatives. And I loved Cori Bush, who is a uh, she was recently elected to the House of Representatives as part of the squad. But her her tweet about the Republicans evading the metal detectors is like, have you ever worked at a McDonald's? Like, have you ever you had wear to follow, the uniform? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had to follow any professional protocol ever where you have to obey these rules? And you're right. Yeah. Like they literally they just think they're above the law, but the law is yeah. for everyone else. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, it's not like free for all. It's like. No, you little person that I'm looking poor, down poor on. people. Yeah, like, you have to do what I say. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's so bizarre. So uh, so then I think what, what they thought was their version of a patriot coup devolved into an FBI, <laughs> a national FBI manhunt, digital manhunt for the perpetrators. And I would love, I mean... I know that it brought a lot of joy to people I work with in the political world to watch this unfold, that all of these people thought there weren't going to be any consequences and now they're being doxxed by the FBI. Did you did you find it funny? Yeah, I really liked all the, like, random companies I, were, I was seeing in my feed that were like, they were like, Dick Johnson is no longer VP of HR. <laughs> and it would be, like, the most, like, benign company ever. And we're like, what? Like, <laughs> Olive Garden got involved. Like, it was just like, what? Yeah, what Hallmark's is- like, nuh-uh. Not we're shutting this down. Not this time. <laughs> nuh-uh. But I really liked, like, all the people, like, personally getting fired in their companies that have, like, like 9,000 followers. Like, <laughs> I'm going to fire them publicly. <laughs> because it was, I mean, but it was such a public display of, right, debauchery. But, um yeah, no, that is really funny that it was all these really, really... Like, IT solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Who would have thought... Did you see the video of the Knoxville woman? So this has oh, now yeah. become viral. <laughs> she... So, I guess reporter's outside, and she had just been maced, and she's like... Well, what... I don't know. She said... Um, she, she said that she was there for the revolution. She was fully bought in, and then she was like... Um, gosh, basically that she was not, like, Elizabeth's not ready for the revolution. That's all I can remember. Yeah, she's crying. She's like, I didn't I think this is how it's going to be. It's like, have you ever studied any revolution? Like, do you understand how many people were right. sliced? Like, their bodies were cut in half by the French Revolution? Like, what are you even? And like, even the reality even, like, of like, revolution. Like, nonviolent action, which this was not. Nonviolent <laughs> protests. Regularly, people get. I've seen people uh, lose their eyesight from rubber bullets. Right, like just right, this last right, summer. Right. 
And, like, that's for walking in a street in the middle of the day with a permit. But that was a perfect, it, it, was, it was a perfect example of the cognitive dissonance that these patriots, in quotations, must be feeling. That they, they really thought they were going to, the red carpet was, would be rolled out to the Capitol, but also that they had all of these, like, they were ready for violence. Like, it's just, it was so strange. And she was like, It's like cos, cosplaying, like. Revolution. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's funny. That'd be an excellent screenplay at some point. Yeah. I'm going to get back into the screenplay. So, uh, there were a few Tennesseans involved. <laughs> Probably more than, more than uh, we can count, but uh, these, these are a few that we'd like to cover. So, I thought one striking angle of, of the insurrection involved the attorney, uh, the political arm of the attorney general, the Republican Attorney General Association. Did you read about this? So, uh, an arm of the Republican Attorney General Association national group representing the top law enforcement officers in their states sent out robocalls, which... <laughs> both, both love a good robocall. Uh, sent out robocalls encouraging people to march to the U.S. Capitol the day before the building was stormed by a pro-Trump mob. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So that is, I mean, you're talking about, for those of you, like, what it, what is the attorney general? What does that symbolize in each state? That's, like, the highest well, level of they, law. Well, they are associated with a party usually, but... It's a generally not a super partisan. Right. So, right. like, if there's, like, business violations or, I mean, they deal with a lot of business of the state. Um, so, yeah, that's very surprising. Like, I didn't think that they were that political. So, perhaps if you live, I'm, I'm sure, I was thinking of Texas, which is a little more blue than Tennessee, but, like, I, I don't think Slatter, um, is it Slattery? Slattery? Slattery. A.G. Slattery. There has been, I think they've, reporters have asked for a comment, and I don't think he's commented. So it could be, you know, this is a this was a this was a pack or some type of C four mm-hmm. campaign, and he might have signed off, like he might right. be paid dues to the association, but he had no involvement. Right. But that's really scary that you have these top legal, you know, legal arbitrate, you know, yeah. arbitrators in each of the states that are collectively spending money to foment this rebellion. Yeah, and it shows how, like, our institutions, because they've started to, like, because we have judges that run as Republicans mm, and Democrats, and because mm. we have AGs that run as Republicans and Democrats, and sheriffs, and whatever, this, that, and the other, like, it, it, it I mean, it shows how fragile the institutions are, that, and how coups can happen, because you're like, you know, if he could just pick off, if he was even just, like, a little bit more competent. I mean, America is just, like, fried right now. (laughs) And, like, if he could just pick off these people. But no one, I mean, he's, like, so embarrassing to be associated with. I guess, well, 75 million people don't think that. But, (laughs) like, but being, you know, people that wear suits to work or whatever. Like, like, I, I know he gained more of them this time. But, like, these big institutions that are supposed to be, um, Super robust. Yeah, and, and even, even just look at Haslam versus Lee and the yeah. governorship. Yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of Governor Lee, excellent segue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our governor in Tennessee, for those of you who don't live in our state, is <laughs> fill in the blank, Anna. What is well, it? Well, is isn't his when? pastor like a proud boy or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, so he, he, Governor Lee belongs to this evangelical church, which, side note, in 2018, during midterms, my boss, who's from, well, this my former boss, who works at my organization, uh, comes from a very, like, white, 
Presbyterian family, and I made her attend Governor Lee's church. I was like, you have to experience the evangelical nature of this church and just how everyone's in ripped jeans and there's plywood and they're, like, singing these <laughs> weird drum songs. Um, anyways, I thought it was hilarious because I brought her to it. She's like, I just always remember that moment as being just so ironic. Um, but anyway, so Governor Lee's pastor, his last name is Berger, I think, he, he, he looks like a kind of an unkempt guy theory. Have you felt that? Um, sure. Okay, great. So we'll, we'll, provide, some, we'll provide some... I like guy theory, so... Uh, okay, okay, okay. Well, that's, that's the visual of him. But anyway, so he apparently the day before um, the protest, or as it was going on, uh, used his church feed to launch into, you know, some type of diatribe as to what was happening. Uh, and so, you know, now you have a church that is, oh, wait, a tax-exempt organization that's getting involved in politics. Um, but he has been uh, unmercifully trolled, I think, in the past few days as being a leading pastor of an evangelical church that was... Mm-hmm. It's funny because when I... I didn't know that you weren't really supposed to talk about politics at church because all the time growing up... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, literally, like... That's right. Rick Santorum would like give the Sunday speech and you're like, who is this guy? Why is he here? <laughs> That's like, such a good point. It's yeah. like, it was never, it was always in theory that you shouldn't bring right. politics into church, but that was never in practice. I literally have gone. That's really funny. In yeah. the last 10 years, I've gone to church service where it, the entire thing was about Israel and like geopolitics. <laughs> but it also happens at black church, right? It's like you have yeah. it on both sides. Yeah. I, I mean. I just never really even knew that that was, like, a concept that you could have a church that wasn't, like, actively involved in politics in some that's way. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, that's definitely, we're, yeah, we're definitely in the South then. Uh, okay. So we've got uh, another Tennessee favorite, holler favorite, uh, Terry Lynn Weaver, who is a, a state legislator that heralds from, hails from, herald, is herald, can they herald I, from? Uh, hails from. Thank you. Uh, Wilson County. Sumner County, uh, and she, so she stormed in full display on her social media platform, she stormed the Capitol, and the Tennessean decided to, they wanted to catalog her experience as a, as a worldview of what happened at the uh, Capitol, and so they asked for her opinion, and uh, this is what she said, so Weaver, who said she refused to wear a mask during a June special session because I'm not sick, raised the possibility without evidence that the Trump supporters who violently broke into the Capitol were, wait for it, members of Antifa. Fa, 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 fa. She also claimed that a protest outside the Tennessee Capitol this summer, which involved a group of demonstrators setting up a campsite for nearly two months, a few of our friends, and using chalk to draw on state property, was worse than what took place in Washington on Wednesday. She said, just a whole lot, just a whole heck of a lot of patriots here, Weaver said. We never experienced any violence. Weaver did acknowledge, however, some people in the crowd had broken into the Capitol. Later in the day, Weaver on Twitter described her experience at the rally as an epic and historic day gathering for the fellow patriots. So, and it's I just, just completely <sighs> divorced from reality. And here's, you know, in one of our, in, in a local activist, Justin Jones, who was, was an organizer of the, of the encampment, um, what do they call it? People's Assembly, People's... People's Plaza. People's Plaza this summer, um, he's quoted, Tennessee politicians are now trying to connect their violent mobs to our nonviolent protests this past summer for racial justice. 
So it's, I mean, it's amazing. And the difference is like, and they're, you know, they're blaming, they're trying to, they're, one, they want to redirect to say, oh, these were people from Antifa, but they're also trying, you know, when people are saying, well, this was, you, this was a situation well, when they're trying to compare it to what happened this summer, mm-hmm. like these these were a bunch of lefty organizers. They didn't have guns. They had tents, chalk, water ball, bottles, and signs, and they were met with a violent with were met with violent force. And as of being mm-hmm. people of color, right? And, and it was made to be a felony, so they had the power of the right of the, of the law behind it. Right. Yeah, right. And so here's Carolyn Weaver trying to compare it. And I think what's most interesting to see how immediately after the blame was put on Antifa. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing as, like, immediately after Trump started to lose states, it was, there were all these, you know, conspiracies or things not based in fact, and it just, it's when you, like, remove all reason and fact from what you're thinking, and you just pick what makes you feel good, or, like, what makes sense in your head, as opposed to, like, in reality. Right, right. Like, that is you know, getting into that. But when your echo chamber involves only people who believe that same reality and your news sources are corroborating. I really don't think that, I mean, I think people make themselves believe that it's Antifa, but I also think that it's just gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous that I have to think that at least some of the people don't really believe what they're saying as, you know, and I think that's, but are you good? But are you letting them off the hook by, no, because I think, um, what is it, Hannah Arndt, she always says, like, the banality of evil or whatever. So, like, there were people, some of the worst perpetrators in the Third Reich and in the Holocaust that were doing it to get ahead professionally and then maybe didn't wow. even have the ideology. Mm. So, and people just played along with it and let these things happen, and they happen piece by piece. They don't happen... Um, in a vacuum, right, where we're like, oh, that is evil, you know, we let things happen and you don't realize because um, you want everything to be, and also we're not one-dimensional, we're not one-dimensional people, so the people that were there that were storming the Capitol, they're doctors and dentists and business owners and construction workers and, I mean, electricians, teachers, all of that stuff, so and their and their wives and daughters and and husbands and sons and all of that stuff, and they have somehow been warped <laughs> in their mind, and that makes it even harder than just dismissing them and saying that they are uh, just so far gone or they're just so far. Or even going as far to say they're mentally ill, which yeah, that's... which I say is an insult to people who have mental yes, <laughs> illness. Yes, yes, yes. And and I think that in a way, like, you know, we have to figure out how to deal with like the banality of evil that like we are living in this time where, and also comparing it to like the majority of Republicans supported Nixon when he resigned, and now we look back on that and we're like, well, of course he would resign; he was corrupt. Corrupt and same with like civil rights, but like but you look I at the public opinion. You. you look at the public opinion when Watergate happened, and most people it was the same. It was like the same percentage of how people didn't want Trump to be impeached. Like like yeah. people didn't believe that he did it. Republicans didn't believe that he yeah. had done it. But then you and then everyone who like aided and abetted him and defended him that held office or that was around him in power, it's the first line in their obituary. Now it can happen in a generation, mm. and same with mm. civil rights. Like I bet. 
that we go to the grocery store or we go to Thanksgiving and to Easter with people who said that shouldn't happen. You know, they may have even been uh, in their heart pro-civil rights, but they said, oh, they shouldn't go about it that way. They shouldn't make a stink. They sh- it shouldn't be that way. They shouldn't be doing these nonviolent protests. They should just do it a different way. And they might not have been the hateful people spitting on children, but they were not on the right side. Yeah, because it's the status quo, and it's what you're caught up in. And I think that that's really, really hard to, like, understand. And it actually makes it even more frustrating, like, saddening to me as it was happening. I was like, wow. The thing is, is that all the people that were there are able to have influence in their own spheres because – they probably have somewhat normal lives, if that makes sense. Like, be, ah, because so they're, they're able to right. influence the people around them, and they're like, "Well, that that group can't be all bad because mm. my uncle Jim was there." Mm. And you're like, <laughs> "So, do you think it makes we're it makes living in it the environment more ripe for indoctrination to indoctrinate other people?" Or you're saying that we have to be careful in terms of what we normalize as, like, yeah. because these are normal in quotations people. Yeah, I think we have to be careful of um, of letting the people around us, like, both sides this thing. Like, I keep hearing that of, like, you know, some people are just really upset and they just really want Trump to be president. And it's like... You, just missed, you, you couldn't hear my dramatic eye roll that I just... <laughs> You know, and it, and it's like okay, I'm I'm feeling your compassion, but I think it's misdirected. Like I get where the compassion is coming from, in that like these are people that have value just because they're humans, and so we should respect that. But I um, like you know going back to the match thing, like we have to take away the matches, and you have to say, and I, I think you're going to talk a little bit about like some some tactics, some some words to say, some ways to engage, maybe. Online is really where we're doing it, but especially if you know people, like I started to see people just in the last like 10 years or so with Facebook. Now, every single day, Facebook, the top 10 articles, they have gotten more and more extreme. They've always been like leaning right wing, but now they're like not even close to like journalism or actual right, facts or right, reporting. Right. And those are the most shared, shared millions and millions and millions of times on Facebook. Some people will say that also includes people being outraged about them, but people read those and people who aren't plugged into academia and podcasts and Twitter. and New York Times. Yeah. And it has chipped away at that foundation of a shared reality. Right. And now that's going to more extreme. Like, I was shocked at the amount of people that I know that were posting their parlor accounts. And they were going wow. to parlor in December. And this and, is the far right. This is the where people have been dropping off Twitter and they're using this platform. They're picking up parlor as a platform. Yeah. And so I was like, because I was going crazy around the election and reporting content, especially on Instagram, which they were actually being pretty strict about it because you know, it was in real time, and they have seen, like, Facebook has seen what has happened around elections in India. Well, they're culpable. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm not, I'm not saying that they did the right thing here, but I was just getting so much relief seeing posts get taken down with all the Arizona Sharpies that I'm, like, following hashtags. I'm, like, report, 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 report. Good for you. But, like, everyone was, like, was taking that moment, and they're, like, oh, my gosh, you can't even speak the truth. They're suppressing the truth. Like, 
not understanding public versus private, not understanding the First Amendment, not understanding right, anything. Right, 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 right. But, but, and then they were like, I'm going to parlor because I can't say what I want to say. And so it's like, how do you figure out the ways to start the deprogramming? Cult, yeah, the deprogramming of what they're seeing and, and just that we can get to a point where there is a shared reality of yeah. what's real. Or even a shared value and understanding how their actions relate to that value. So we may not even get anywhere close to agreeing on some aspect of the election, but you can say, you know, causing the members of Congress to lock down. Both Republican and, and killing Democrats. A, right. And killing a police officer. Right. Is that... So we're... So one... Th- I think one item you wanted to discuss was the power of naming the event and what happened versus normalizing. Can you discuss a little bit? Yeah, so I I have seen a lot of, you know, why can't the hate just end? Uh, trust me, it comes love from both Trump's sides. Love Trump's hate. Love Trump's hate. Uh, no it, it's coming no from both sides. Not. We're so divided. I just, you know, unity and healing. And I think there's so much power in using... Um, certain language in speaking plainly about what happened and I hope that we did this you know in the in the podcast but I have just people are glossing over it uh, and and saying you know I know people that were that that believe that are on both sides of this that believe um, both these things that believe the election was stolen and people that, you know, support Biden, I guess, are the two choices now. (laughs) Embarrassingly enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, And obviously, I know there are Republicans that believe, uh, including election officials who, uh, you know, Republican election officials that believe the election wasn't stolen. But um, I I just like, yeah, I just think it's really important that we don't gloss over uh, naming our reality because I feel like part of the way that we have gotten to the place that we are is the lack of that is the is the glossing over is the average person saying no oh, well that's political and you know I don't want to get into that uh, that's too happens. political yeah. what happened last week I mean everything is political but the personal is a political for a lot of people and they can't do politics as a hobby like Ted Cruz um but I like that's not even the realm that we're, we're not even on that plane anymore. We're not even on the plane of like, sometimes I like to read the Sunday paper. It's like another level where it's like causing people's behavior to be um, a threat to our democracy. And what we need now. And to other people's livelihoods. Yeah, yeah. What we need now is accountability and to be really, 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 humble about how fragile our democracy is and our institutions and our humanity because history shows us that what we think and believe in this day you can't hold it that tightly and we've got to start pulling people away from the precipice of delusion yeah well with that uh and it's very difficult, and as someone who has family members that are waist deep in conspiratorial thinking, 
I think you hit it when you said that we need a, a shared sense of reality. And I think it's very difficult to get to a point where we're able to have a conversation because if you do present people that are QAnon believers with facts and reality, it often just reaffirms it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy for them because the facts that you're telling them they've been told that aren't real and so therefore they're they're you know they're doing the mental gymnastics to try to process and get to a point where they're believing and reaffirming their own conspiracies mm-hmm. um so we thought this was this is on vice we can we'll put it in the show notes but um so how to talk to friends and family members who are cons- consumed by conspiracy theories so one as i said know that bombarding them with facts isn't worth it um, so that's number one is that you're not going to be able to to say, hey, guess what? Biden is president and all of these states certified these results. And this is the case. Another tactic is just to ask open ended questions. And I think I've seen this with a few people that I've that I've had to interact with in terms of QAnon supporters that you just, you know, arguing isn't going to work. Like you're not going to you're not going to be able to shove facts in their face, but asking open ended, non judgmental questions and genuinely listening to what the person has to say without reacting. Like if they say that Joe Biden is a lizard person and that mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is harvesting organs, just like, oh, oh, wow. OK, well what does that look like to you? No, (laughs) but, but trying to do that, it it could really be, it's a great technique. Um, if you use, if it's coded with respect and curiosity, um, let's give some examples. So like, uh, so why do you feel that way? Yeah. Why do you feel that? Ask, tell me how you came to these beliefs that you have right now. Uh, go back in time. When did you first hear about this? What did you first think? When did you first think of this? Um, and that process alone can be a very therapeutic thing. And then the last thing is you should leave them with food for thought and the space to do their own thinking. So instead of telling the person that they're getting sucked into a cult, which I love a good cult deprogramming intervention, thank you. Um, oh, this is this is interesting. They use the example of Nexium. So have you mm-hmm. watched the Nexium series on HBO? I've heard enough oh about it that I, I I think I get the Anna. gist. Okay, we might have to have it. <laughs> like I, all I know is like volleyball, personal improvement, or like okay, well now professional I'm come, development. Now I'm going to come over and we're going to watch it together. That'll okay. give me. It'll be like my weekly, our weekly hour when we're not recording. Uh, but it, it's it's very, you know, smart, outgoing, professional people that joined this cult, and then they end up branding each other. Um, and so this uh, Vice article says you might want to ask, um, suggest that by bringing a different group, so not QAnon, that spreads misinformation and utilizes mind control techniques. The one that I like lately is Nexium. Say something like. What do you think of Nexium and Keith Raniere? How do bright, talented, educated people, billionaires and actresses allow themselves to be estranged from loved ones and do these things? Um, and then from there, it should be easy to launch conversations about how cults and other toxic, harmful groups function and maybe, you know, bring up Jonestown or there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many examples that you can use that it isn't just QAnon. Also, just as a side note, guess when the... So, so for the, you should return to our QAnon episode with QAnon expert Chris Coleman. But as all of this started, there was a Q drop, right? Like someone dropped. We don't really know who Q is. There was a drop on the dark web, a, a nugget information, an informational mm-hmm. nugget that was dropped. Um, but there hasn't been a formal Q drop since the first week of December. So think about that, that this insurrection spiraled out of whatever dark web was happening, but it mm-hmm. wasn't Q related. And then the last uh, is... 
so know when to hold off. Is your friend or loved one the kind of person that goes through two-week phases with new interests that tend to forget about quickly? Um, but it may be unsettling to hear someone you care talk about a conspiracy gibberish, but give them time to process and know when to hold off. And then trust the process. While this might not be what anyone wants to hear, undoing the influence from internal misinformation in the communities that spring up around it takes serious time and energy. So don't rush in it to with some don't rush into this with some some set timeline in mind. Instead, focus on remaining in contact and conversation as long as it takes to identify what that person believes, where they're getting their information from, and who they're communicating with that that reinforces their new noxious worldview. And I will say from mm-hmm from personal experience that it ends up being this echo chamber of people and it has to be one person that's penetrating. But as, as you said, like they're, they're reinforcing their beliefs are constantly being reinforced by the people that they're associated with. Blister, I guess is a lot like you and I, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, we, I do think that a lot of, especially at the national level, there is interest in institutionalizing misinformation practices because I, I think unless we break, break up big tech that we're never going to be able to tackle this to the scale that we need to in order to deprogram mm-hmm. 73 million people. Like, Yeah. And, I mean, these, like, disinformation and conspiracy theories have always been around, but I think there's, um, we just have to understand our information universe is so much larger And we're getting to the point where we potentially have three or more political parties. Um, We have our, you know, uh, 400 years of uh, racial oppression and and systemic racism are coming, it's coming to a head, honestly, um, because of the information ecosystem we live in. And so, and, and also we have to think about wages and income inequality and, and some of the other factors that are leading to um, people not trusting, you know, standard systems and, and truth, <laughs> a shared truth. So I, I think, like, giving weight to the reasons why people uh, are leaning that way while also being sure to not validate some of the more uh, dangerous beliefs or inclinations and obviously like people should be held to account and be imprisoned (laughs) and that kind of thing when when necessary like when they're you know vandalizing the capital but I I do think like with loved ones I have to remember that like they may be the most extreme people on my Facebook but they've got even more extreme people on their Facebook and then and it's like people that they trust and they're hearing this at church and they're hearing this from their mom and they're hearing this from like this other person and I have to just understand okay this is much larger than me and me saying some things like I will just be branded you know one thing I say sometimes is it hurts my feelings Mm. when you say when you make this offhand comment about liberals that is like really negative, like, you know, liberals can't be Christians or like, there's just certain things that I see pretty regularly on a Facebook post. And I'll send it, I'll send a private message. I'll send a private message. And I say that that hurts my feelings because that is how I identify. And I don't feel like you're seeing the full range of me as a person. And I think it does work. I mean, yeah. I, I think that um, because I also give the same benefit of the doubt that I want them to give me, I give it to them, mm. um, which may not always, that obviously does come from a position of privilege. And I do know that I uh, don't push conversations sometimes that I should when certain things are said. Um, and so I do want to get better about naming 
um, naming problems, naming, um, uh, which I mean, I, I have a lot of work to do that starts with like foundational things, not even close to like conspiracy theories, but like what is racism? And that, you know, I know a lot of people and I'm very close and love a lot of people that believe that racism is actually people of color to white people. Wow. Yeah, that it's like, that that is racist, that doing anything that has any eye to race, like diversity hiring or things like that is racism. racism. It is racist to pay attention to race. Wow. And that is like very, very common and in a, in, you know, a ticket out of all conversations about race. So you're talking, I mean, you're really saying it's not just conspiratorial thinking, it's like deprogramming from how these people have internalized really touchy and controversial what controversial subjects. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. to where it flattens uh, other people's humanity. And so I, like, my first reaction when I'm seeing all these people at the Capitol, I'm like, this makes me so sad because that human being, that, <laughs> that other human beings are in this position where... They have been, and I'm not letting them off the hook. They have full agency, autonomy, all this kind of stuff. But I'm looking at it, and they are listening to their president, who they have bought into for some reason. Listen to the Guru podcast. Watch the Nexium documentary. There are so many things out there that show you how people buy into what their freaking pastor says, what the, you know, whatever, Warren Jeffs or whatever. Like, they are all out there. There are tons of them. Everyone is looking for some type of, like, like, it's the human condition. Like, mm-hmm. there, I mean, it is so much deeper, philosophical, whatever, than I'm red team, you're blue team. Like, <laughs> right, 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 yeah. And there, I just really want to see the humanity in everyone. That's very beautiful, Anna. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm, like, writing off all my QAnon relatives. I'm just like, <clears throat> It's easy to harden your heart because it, it just is so hard to handle. Yeah, and I, I think I, you know, my innate, what I want to do is just escape and not deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you said, it's a very privileged position to do that because it could be harmful to people we love. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, with that, I guess, wow, we're just, we've been insurrection chatting. Chris, gratitude. I guess, what are you grateful for? Drum set? my drums kicking it it on the drums no I'm grateful for I'll say my cats I mean they're horrible they're so misbehaved but I have been at home solo for seven months and they jump in my lap during calls everyone knows them they're just super sweet I mean they're very very annoying but it gives me something like some sense of like time and place to have my little babies. I don't know how people have survived this pandemic without pets. I mean, it's just like a weighted blanket. Well, especially because they're like 25 pounds. But <laughs> when they like are both sitting on me and I just like feel so at peace. They're like in my little anxiety blankets. But they're also the biggest pain in the butt ever. God, they're not as chonky as my chonky cat. But. Yeah. Um, she's got more loose skin. She's a big girl. She's a big girl. <laughs> Um, let's see, I'm thankful for, I had, so I am a licensed social worker and I went to school for therapy a little bit, but obviously got my, I got my, uh, degree in public policy and social work. So it's a bit different, but I haven't been able to find a therapist that I feel like 
can relate or is willing to do the deep dives and kind of existential, have the existential conversations that, that I'm really interested in having. So I finally found an excellent therapist and shout out to my friend Lizzie Thomas, uh, a fellow organizer in Nashville that gave me her list of vetted recommend recommendation, um, recommended therapist. And I had my intake today. It was great. I'm really excited about therapy. So watch out world, watch out 2021, new year, new therapy therapist new me she asked me she, she's for like, no reason at all like, she's like i want you to feel big feelings i'm like oh okay yeah i can go big i can go big i can go loud i don't i don't know if you've seen the tweets just a circle like put a bow tie on our on our episode this week but uh, about the insurrection like men would rather storm the capital than go to therapy yeah. like I mean, that's like Trump. Like he is like working is so, out his yes, issues yes. in the office. I mean, any therapist or a psychologist would say that Trump is stunted in his growth. Like he's at a, he's operating at like a fourth grade level. Yeah, and he thinks what was cool in the eighties is like so cool. <laughs> like that's normal. He has like so. It's just so interesting. Yeah. Okay. That reminds me, uh, I saw a Facebook post. Okay, last thing I want to say. This is just, like, how weird our our social networks are. I saw a Facebook post from a very conspiracy-heavy person that I know tangentially from high school. I don't know why I'm still friends with him. I guess I just find it fascinating. He, he tweeted, he said, who are all these people? So there's this weird, like, uh, so a lot of people from my high school became, like, crunchy, like, um, big into like psychedelics and weed and a lot of them live in Colorado and then so they got into like conspiracy theories but it's like on both sides there's like a ton of Bernie people and then like a ton of Q people like this so they're really like healthy and stuff so this guy goes he's like who are all these people that eat at McDonald's every day I'm assuming they vote for Biden because they they suck and have bad taste or something and I'm like Trump is like the Queen of McDonald's, like he loves McDonald's so much. He invited much. He, any any collegiate or pro team that has won a national championship has been greeted at the White House with crystals bur- crystal burgers. So yeah. you know what? Yeah, he is like known to like eat McDonald's on Air Force One, like almost every time he's on Air Force One. And I'm just like, I mean, not that I care. Like, I honestly don't think that we should shame him for his weight or his food consumption or like any of his like things that people say are tacky or whatever. I think that's like. I don't You're like those it. arguments. It like, it I feel like there's it. a I'm lot of other is. things to criticize him about, and I personally like McDonald's. Anyway, but I just felt like this this post was like the weirdest like thought process that like if someone eats at McDonald's, they have to support Biden because they have bad taste and politics. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I'm just like, what has happened with our world that this is how we think about politicians? And our fellow Americans, let's all just get along. Let's all just get along. Can we all just get along? Just kidding. Burn it down. Oh. Just, an just kidding about okay. that. All right. No. Well, everyone, we'll see you in two weeks. Hopefully, we'll have some, some interviews lined up. Thanks so much for joining, and we'll see you later. Keep it gritty. Keep it gritty. Bye. Bye. Thank to our griddles and our family at the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tnholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the Holler while you're there. Follow the Holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep, keep it gritty. Bye.